0: When you pray, ask God to honor Himself, regardless of how He chooses to answer your prayers. God's supernatural power is only available to those who rely on Him and not themselves. Fellow students, if you would turn to 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 15. This is a, a parallel passage, 1 Kings 15. We're looking at the kings of Israel and Judah, and of course those are covered in 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. Remember the unified kingdom of Saul and David and Solomon is now split into two. The northern kingdom consists of the ten tribes in the northern part of Israel, and what's called Israel. And the southern kingdom is, consists of two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, and that's called Judah. So in Scripture, you see the kingdom of Israel after the division. They're talking about the northern ten tribes. When they say the kingdom of Judah, they're talking about the bottom two tribes, uh, Benjamin and Judah. Last week, we talked about Israel's first king, Jeroboam, who ruled for 22 years. And he led Israel into gross idolatry, despite multiple warnings from God. So God finally took his life after 22 years. His son Nadab reigned for two years and he was assassinated by Baasha who from the tribe of Issachar, he was a a usurper, who then killed all the male descendants of Jeroboam's family. Not one was left. That was promised by God. God told Jeroboam, because of your leading Israel to sin, your making Israel to sin, I am going to clean you and sweep you away like dung from a barnyard, literally. That's how God viewed his evil. Meanwhile, Solomon's son, we talked about, Rehoboam, ruled over Judah for 17 years, and then he died at age 58, and he was succeeded by his son Ahijah, and Ahijah ruled for three years. So let's pick up the narrative in 2 Chronicles 14, sorry about that, 2 Chronicles 14, verse 1, and this is a summary verse to open the passage. So Ahijah slept with his fathers, that means he died, and they buried him in the city of David, and his son Asa, became king in his place. The land was undisturbed for 10 years during his days. Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. For he removed the foreign altars and high places, tore down the sacred pillars, cut down the Asherim, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah and the kingdom was undisturbed under him. Here's the first principle. By the way, one of the things about Kings and Chronicles, they're very, very practical applications as we look at these biographies. So here's the first principle. Loving God involves eradicating evil and establishing righteousness. Loving God involves both eradicating evil and establishing righteousness. Now, Ahijah only reigned three years, but during that three-year period, Jeroboam came down and tried to invade Judah, and there was a battle between Israel and Judah, and God gave Judah a miraculous victory over Israel. Jeroboam and Israel lost 500,000 soldiers during this battle, which was crippling to the northern kingdom, and so Israel was unable to wage any military threat against Judah, and it's in that context that Asa became king after the great defeat of Israel, and so he had a period of prolonged peace. He reigned for 41 years in Jerusalem. We don't know how old he was when he took the throne. Now, God himself gives us a summary statement of the character of Asa. And by the way, he'll do the same thing for us when we stand before him. And he said Asa's character was good and right in the sight of the Lord, and it was because Asa did two things. Negatively, He eliminated what God hated, idolatry. God hates idolatry. And positively, Asa reinstated the worship of Yahweh, the God of Israel. So Asa began his reign with spiritual reformation. He declared war on idolatry and he did his best to eradicate, to uproot it from Judah. Now he did this in several ways. You'll notice the terms foreign altars. He got rid of foreign altars. Foreign altars were people made sacrifices to gods other than Yahweh, uh, the God of Israel. And they did that on high places. Throughout Kings and Chronicles, you're going to see this term, high places. And it, it refers to elevations, mounds, hilltops, any area that is elevated. And it was a common place where the people made sacrifices to gods other than the God of Israel. So it's associated with idolatry. High places is a code word for idol worship. And they, they would do this on high places because you thought, they thought they were closer to God because, you, you know, you're hundred feet elevation, right? Altars and shrines were what they built on top of those high places. There, those were the temples and the shrines where they built their altars so they could uh, sacrifice. And the land was littered with these shrines, two pagan gods. Uh, sacred pillars, uh, Asherim by name, were incense Altars. Incense altars. They had stands where they would burn incense and they were carved poles made out of wood that contains images of Asherah. Now, Ish- Asherah was the mother of Baal. Baal, we're going to find out a whole lot about here uh, shortly when we get into Ahab. Baal was the Sidonian god of the storm, of rain. And in the Middle East, rain is a very, very big deal. No rain, you starve, because no rain, you can't grow any crops. So she was the goddess of fertility. So these asherim were used in fertility rites and Canaanite worship often involved ritual, sexual prostitution, among other perversions. So you can understand why Israel had a hard time dealing with this, just given the flesh, human nature. Incense altars, of course, they would burn incense and that created a sweet aroma that would waft up to heaven for their gods to appreciate. So, Asa eliminated these places and practices of evil. That was what he did negatively. Get rid of evil. What he did positively, he commanded Judah to do what's right. You probably noticed, in your own life, it's not enough to merely stop doing what's wrong. You have to replace it with doing what's right. You have to displace it. In other words, you push out the evil with the good. If you have a five-gallon bucket, and it's filled with sand and dirt, uh, one of the easiest ways to clean it up is put a garden hose in the bottom, right? Turn it on high. And over time, the clean water will displace all the dirty water. Moral vacuums don't exist. Vacuums were always filled, whether it's physical vacuums, they're always filled, or moral vacuums. You cannot simply get rid of what you don't want what is evil. It has to be replaced with what's good. Evil evil's literally pushed out with what's good. So stop doing what's wrong, and you do that by starting to do what's right. That's how you get rid of it, by the Lord's help. So Asa commanded Judah to seek the Lord, in other words, to draw close to the Lord. Interesting, God often uses the word walk to describe his relationship with us. You know, it says that Enoch walked with God. They moved in the same direction. They were taking the same steps toward the same goals. When you walk with someone, you obviously agree on your direction or you wouldn't be walking with them. When you walk with someone, you're close to them. When you walk away from somebody, what? You're saying, I want to be further away from them. Disobedience is always putting distance between you and God. Disobedience is walking away from God. Obedience is walking toward God. Now, Asa commanded Judah not just to get rid of the evil, but to seek God, to walk toward God. And as a consequence of that, God gave them peace for 10 years. No warfare. Now, God blesses us with peace and other things for a reason. God wants us to use that time to prepare for what he has planned for us in the future. Take a look at verse 6. During this period of peace, this 10 years... Asa did what? He built fortified cities in Judah since the land was undisturbed and there was no one at war with him during these years because the Lord had given him rest. For Asa said to Judah, "'Let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God.' We have sought him, and he has given us rest on every side, so they built and prospered. Here's the principle. This is so basic, and I see it violated all the time. Preparation is prudent because the future is unpredictable. That's what you call a Woda. Whoa! Duh! Right? A Woda. We run into those all the time. There are obvious principles that we routinely violate. Right? Right? Preparation is prudent because the future is unpredictable. Asa understood that this time of peace was a blessing from God, but it was also an opportunity. Asa understood that the purpose of this peace, among other things, was to give Judah time to build cities and fortify them against possible future invasions. It says, when they sought the Lord, God prospered them, and part of that prosperity was peace. Asa understood something very fundamental. He understood that Judah did not own the land. The land was owned by who? God. It was his land. God says, you can live in the land if you what? Continue to follow my covenants, obey me, do what I say. I will bless you with the land. However, if you worship idols, turn away from me, walk away from me, reject me, then I'm going to remove you from the land. Deuteronomy 28 verse 64. The same is true of us. There's nothing in your life and my life that we own. Nothing. It's all on loan from the owner who is God. Everything is on loan, including your left eye. <laughs> I'm serious. It's on loan. Everything's on loan. Our health is on loan. We are all at the age and stage where we're beginning to understand that. You wake up in the morning and you feel good and you go, whoa, this is unusual, right? I mean, it's on loan, right? Don't take it for granted, right? So how faithfully we manage what God loans us may determine how long he lets us manage it. If you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. If you're flaky in little, you'll be flaky with much. So manage the little things, right? Like our bodies like our minds, like our hearts, like our loyalty, like our love, etc., etc. So preparation is almost always a good idea. Remember Joseph. Joseph was given a dream that there was going to be seven years of abundance and seven years of famine. And what did he do? He used the seven years of abundance to store up grain in preparation for seven years of famine. Wise idea. God doesn't give us surpluses of anything to waste on ourselves, to waste on personal indulgence. If you have a surplus in your life, God wants you to use that for what? Eternal purposes. Eternal purposes. Because everything down here is temporary. We're not here long on planet Earth. You get a few decades, right? So Asa, during that 10-year period, built walls, but he also built an army. And you're going to find out that was really wise to do. Verse 8. Now Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, bearing large shields and spears, and 280,000 from Benjamin, bearing shields and wielding bows. All of them were valiant warriors. Verse 9, Now Zerod the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots, and he came to Mereshah. So Asa went out to meet him. This was not for a tea party, this was for a battle. And they drew up in battle formation in the valley of Zarephath at Mereshah. Then, Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one beside you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So, help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you, and in your name have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God, let not man prevail against you." So the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Here's the principle. When you pray, assuming you pray, when you pray, ask God to honor himself regardless of how he chooses to answer your prayers. Let me say that again. When you pray, ask God to honor himself regardless of how he chooses to answer your prayers. Let's unpack this. Zera the Ethiopian, or Zera the Kushite. this was um, modern-day southern Egypt, Sudan and northern Ethiopia. That was where the Kushites lived at that point of time. It wasn't really an Ethiopian army, it was an Ethiopian general. It was a Kushite general. He was a mercenary general. He actually worked for the Egyptian pharaoh named Osorkan I, and he's the one who succeeded Shishak. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Shishak, who was the pharaoh who had invaded Judah when Rehoboam was... Uh, king over Judah, and Shishak was successful in his invasion of Judah because God used him to discipline Rehoboam and Judah for idolatry and for their sins. It was literally 25 miles roughly southwest of Jerusalem, about halfway between Gaza on the sea and Jerusalem, and the circumstances were really disastrous. Judah was outnumbered two to one almost, and Judah had no chariots, and chariots, of course, were the armored tanks of that era. And Judah and Asa faced this desperate situation with a prayer of faith. Asa admitted that that Judah was powerless compared to the Ethiopians. They were outnumbered. He threw himself on God's mercy and power. He declares that Yahweh is their personal God, and they trust in God alone. He acknowledges that the only reason they mustered the troops and came out to meet the Ethiopians in battle is for God's glory. That was the motivation to go to battle in the first place. As a matter of fact, the reality is, is the people of Judah were not the only one under attack. The one really being attacked was the God of Judah. The God of Judah, who had promised to protect his people. Asa says, God, defend your honor defend the glory of your name, and don't let these fallen human beings prevail against you by conquering God's people. Does that sound like a selfless prayer? Yeah. One thing you can always pray for that God will always answer is His glory. If you want to get a yes to your prayers, ask God to glorify Himself however He chooses to answer your prayer, and He will always answer your prayer in a way that glorifies Him. Always. Always. And so Asus says, Lord, glorify yourself by defeating this enemy. And God demonstrates his power. Both Judah and the Ethiopians, he supernaturally routs them. The narrative doesn't tell us how that happens, but it says they fled before them and Judah pursued and killed so many of them that the Egyptian army was shattered. As a matter of fact, they were so thoroughly defeated that Egypt did not invade Judah again for 300 years. When Josiah met Pharaoh Necho at Carchemish in 609 BC, 300 years later. And it says, this Egyptian army fled in such panic that they left everything behind, an immense amount of plunder. And God's victory through Judah sent a message to every nearby regional power that the God of Israel was also the God of heavens and earth, who had created that because he supernaturally did what he did. So the application here is pretty clear, but it's not easy to do. It's always easy to pray, God, answer my prayers with a yes because I'm special. (laughs) Lord, you know that I'm special. I mean, right? Isn't it all about me, right? Answer, give me a yes, whatever it happens to be. Now, God answers prayer, yes, no, or wait, right? Yeah, I'm in the wait stage. Yes, no, or wait he will honor himself with any one of those answers. The question is not that. The question is, do we want his glory more than our comfort? Do we want him to be honored regardless of how he answers our prayers? Paul saw the third heavens, and he says, as a result of that, lest I should become puffed up with pride, God sent me a thorn in the flesh, right? Right? We don't know what that was, but it was probably physically painful. And he said what? I asked God three times, take this thing away, please. And I'm sure he said, take it away so I can serve you better. Right? I mean, right? God says what? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power through you is perfected in your weakness. Because Paul then said, therefore, what? I rejoice in my weakness, because when I'm weak, then he is strong through me. So the power of God worked more through Paul's weakness than it did through Paul's strength. Which means I should be blind in one eye, and maybe both. That's God's choice. Amen? All of you are dealing with physical pain. I get it. You know something? God knows exactly why he is allowing what he's allowing in our lives. And if we pray for his glory, we will see his power weakening through us in ways that we wouldn't see if we were not in suffering. That's the sovereignty of God. And Paul rejoiced in that. And boy, let me tell you, I've been thinking about that the last month. So I'm I'm, I'm speaking to you from my own brokenness, right? Chapter 15, verse 1. Now, post-battle, the Spirit of God came on Azariah, the son of Odin. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. And if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. But you, be strong and do not lose courage, for there is reward for your work. Now, when Asa heard these words and the prophecy which Azariah, the son of Oded, the prophet, spoke, he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin, and from all the cities which he had captured in the hill country of Ephraim. He then restored the altar of the Lord, which was in front of the porch of the Lord. Here's the principle. God is intimate with those who seek him above all else. God is intimate with those who seek him above all else. So immediately after this great supernatural victory, God sends a prophet, To come out to the city to meet Asa and the army immediately after the battle. And the Holy Spirit had a message for Asa, and he wanted to confirm number one, your faith matters, the fact that you cried out to me, you trusted in me and not yourself. I heard that. And I listened to your prayer and gave you victory because of that. And Asa, I want to continue, I want to urge you to continue to follow God. Because you trusted in me, I honored myself and routed your enemies. God responds to our faith. God wants to be found, by the way. He does want to be found. But he lets people find him who are, in fact, seeking him. Sometimes, always, actually, he seeks us first. And then... He pushes our heart. He calls us. He draws us. He pricks our conscience. That's the Holy Spirit. And we seek Him and we find Him. Be a God chaser. We're all chasing something. Chase God first and foremost. There is no benefit greater on the planet than an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Then Asa got a warning as well as an encouragement. He got the encouragement. Oded, I'm not going to review the verses, but Oded reviewed the period of judges in the Israel. And he said, remember Asa, when Israel turned to idols, God let them be invaded and conquered by their enemies. When Israel repented from their idolatry and turned to God, God let them find him and he mercifully delivered them. And he said, I've got two two messages for you Asa. Number one, be strong and do not lose courage. Did you know that courage can be lost? Courage can be gained too. Courage ultimately is a choice. It's a decision of in what are you going to place your faith, right? God or your circumstances. Be strong in faith. Keep your faith in God strong. Choosing every day to believe and obey his word. And one of the ways God keeps your faith strong is he gives you opportunity to exercise it. And that is usually known as trials and troubles and pain and suffering. That's when your faith muscle gets what? Exercised, exercised. And he says, Asa, there's reward for your work. What you do, Asa, matters. It's never wasted. Obedience is never wasted because God always notices everything. Diligent labor for God's glory will always be rewarded because everything you do in this life, what? Matters for eternity. A lot of you in this room are doing absolutely wonderful things for Jesus. And no one notices, you think. But the only one who notices is the only one who matters. God notices everything. And when you do everything for his glory, he is saying, well done, child. Well done, child. Keep faithful. It matters. I have not forgotten. It doesn't matter if anybody else saw it. It doesn't matter if anybody ever says thank you. It doesn't matter if your children or your grandchildren ever say thank you. You did what was right in my sight, and there is reward for that faithfulness. And it is coming. Count on it. Now, Asa needed a lot of faith and courage to battle the Ethiopians. That wasn't the issue at this point. He needed a lot more courage because he had to confront evil in his own land, in his own people, in his own family. That requires more courage. He redoubled his effort to eradicate evil. By the way, eradicating evil is a supernatural battle. Amen? You're going to eradicate evil in the power of the Lord. you have to put the whole armor of God on, Ephesians 6. And you're going to need God's divine power because Satan blinds the eyes of sinful people and tries to blind the eyes of God people. And he always tempts people to reject God. Apparently, there were still many idols in Judah. And he removed them all. And we go, well, that's no big deal. He's king. No, he probably had to remove most of them by force. You know why? Idolaters love their idols. Sinners love their sin. you try trying to eradicate evil in America. You're going to have a battle on your hands. Sinners love to sin. We've all been there. By the grace of God, we're not there. Right? It takes courage, hard work, and faith to uproot evil. First Kings 15 tells us that he expelled all the male cult prostitutes from the land. That gives you an idea of the degradation of the culture. <clears throat> Canaanite worship had both male and female. Uh, prostitutes. He even removed his own grandmother from being the queen mother because she had built an image of Asherah and he burned it in the altar and he got rid of her as queen mother. Now that takes courage, right? Grandma, you're out of a job because you're doing evil stuff, right? Sometimes it takes a lot more courage to deal with evil in your own family and in your own life than it does out there somewhere, somebody else. So he not only got rid of evil, he positively, he repaired and reinstated the altar of sacrifice in the courtyard. It had been 66 years since it had been used. He was bringing Judah back to the worship of Yahweh. As we mentioned, you always have to do more than eliminate evil. You have to promote righteousness. And the whole point of righteousness is connecting people with God. That's really the whole point, right? Connecting people with God. People that are disconnected from God are under the power and authority of Satan. So... He reinstated worship, which was a right relationship between God and people. He led the people to rededicate themselves to the Lord. Look at verse 10. After the battle, after the prophecy, verse 10 says, they assembled at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of Asa's reign. They sacrificed to the Lord that day 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep from the spoil they had brought. They entered into the covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death, whether small or great, man or woman. Moreover, they made an oath to the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting, with trumpets, and with horns. All Judah rejoiced concerning the oath, for they had sworn with their whole heart and had sought him earnestly, and he let them find him... So the Lord gave them rest on every side. And there was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. Here's the principle. A loving and faithful relationship with God produces joy and peace. A loving and faithful relationship with God produces joy and peace. There's a great deal of emphasis in these verses on the word covenant. Now the word covenant comes from a word meaning to cut. To cut. It means a legal binding agreement between two or more parties that has been sealed with blood. That's life, right? God's covenant with Abraham was symbolized by a cutting we call circumcision, right? And there was bloodletting during that period of time when you're circumcised. In the Bible, a covenant is represented as an agreement between God and people, right? God is the creator, God is the king, and God always initiates the terms of the covenant with people. That's his right. Now, people can accept or reject God's covenant, but you cannot alter it. And that was true back in the day. Ancient kings would come to a a people that they had conquered or they ruled over, and they said, here's the terms of our agreement. Here's how I will rule, and here's what the terms of our relationship will be. You can accept it or reject it, but you can't modify it. People are forever trying to tell God how to run his universe. Yeah, I want a relationship with you, Lord, but here's what you got to do to have one with me. No, no, no. He's the creator, and you and I are the creature. So God sets the terms of his relationship with us. We know that. No one comes to the Father but through Jesus the Son, right? So here we see this great celebration. Asha and Judah are reaffirming the Mosaic covenant that God made with Israel at Mount Sinai. He said, remember back then in Exodus 19, he said, I'm calling you to be a nation of priests. I want you to be my ambassadors. I want you, Israel, to be my special people. I want you to represent me to the peoples of the earth. By the way, if you're going to do that, you're going to need to love me, you're going to be loyal to me, and you're going to need to obey all the terms of this agreement, starting with the Ten Commandments. If you represent God, you need to live like God, otherwise you misrepresent God. So, if you bear the name Christian, behave like Christ so people have an accurate idea of what Christ is really like, correct? So, Israel had promised to keep God's covenant at Mount Sinai, but they violated the terms of that covenant over and over and over again. So now they're reaffirming and swearing a great oath, a great promise, a great vow that they will keep this covenant. Following this great victory, they made extensive sacrifices. By the way, a sacrifice is an expression of how much you value God. 700 oxen, 7,000 sheep, pretty extensive. They're basically saying, Lord, we give you this sacrifice as an expression of how much we value you. What does God expect from us? He said, I gave my life for you. Therefore, I expect you to what? Give your life to me. Yes. Yes. So they made a promise they're going to obey his covenant and follow him with their whole heart. It says they were very earnest. They said what they meant and meant what they said. They were serious. Uh, And as a result of that, they had great joy. Have you noticed that there's always joy in God's presence? When you're in God's presence, you're in a right relationship with him. Joy is one of the outcomes. The second one is peace. Intimacy with God requires obedience to God, and when you're obeying God, you're at peace with God, right? What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, right? Patience, those things. It says they sought him earnestly, and God let them find him, which is really a reversal of what we would expect. No human being finds God because they've got an extra special GPS spiritual system that can kind of give you the map of the heavens and you know where God is, right? God is only found because he allows himself to be found. He reveals himself to those who seek him. Jeremiah 29.13 says, he's talking to Israel, he says, You will seek me and find me, what's the condition? When you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. You know, I talk to people all the time, and they have this mistaken belief that they can walk away from God for their whole life. And then they say, you know, I'm going to make peace with God on my deathbed. Well, that's assuming you're going to get a deathbed. You may not get one. You may die in a car accident. The Bible says what? Today is the day of salvation, because tomorrow is not guaranteed. None of us know the D-Day, the day we're checking out of here, the Lord says, tonight your soul's required of you. Remember the rich fool? He said, I got all these barns, I got all this stuff, I'm gonna do well. And the Lord says, Tonight's the night, you're leaving it all. And he wasn't ready. The most amazing thing in all of life is that the creator God of the universe wants a relationship with people. Right? And he has gone to extremes to make that relationship happen through sacrificing his own son on our behalf to pay the debt for our sins. And he invites us and he commands us, seek me, I want to be found by you. I want a relationship with you. But you have to come through the son, come through Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Go to chapter 16, verse 1. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from going out or coming into Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa brought out silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who lived in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me. As between my father and your father, behold, I have sent you silver and gold. go break your treaty with Baasha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. Here's the principle: don't rely on God's enemies to accomplish your goals. <coughs> Some of these things are so obvious you go mm, uh, yeah, don't rely on God's enemies to accomplish your goals so Asa and Judah are now, have experienced an extended period of peace. I want you to know that prolonged peace and prosperity can be spiritually harmful. Doesn't have to be, can be spiritually harmful. God seems relatively unnecessary when everything in your life is going well, right? It's easy to neglect our spiritual disciplines. You know, it's somewhat like physical exercise. Uh, if there's one phrase I've learned to respect, it's this, use it or lose it. That's just not physical exercise, that's spiritual disciplines, that's hobbies, that's relationships, that's cognitive ability. Use it or lose it, whatever you neglect will probably decay and ultimately die. And you go, well, Brad, that's pretty obvious. But knowing it and doing it are two different things, right? I want you to know that flab happens without effort. <laughs> you don't have to work at it. It just occurs. By the way, not just physical flab, but cognitive flab. Also occurs without any effort. If You watch enough public television. Don't go there, Brad. Okay. Both physical and, f- and spiritual fitness require intentional holy sweat. Now, Bash is the king of Israel. He has assassinated Jeroboam's son Nadab after two years of rule, and then he slaughters all of Jeroboam's house, all the male heirs. And, of course, that fulfilled Ahijah's prophecy that God was going to do that because Jeroboam led Israel into sin. Now, Baasha is an evil king. He walks in all the sins of Jeroboam, and he reigns for 24 years over Israel. Baasha comes from the north, and he moves south toward Judah. If you look at Jerusalem, it's just south of the dividing line. It's in Judah, but it's just in Judah. You don't see Ramah, but it's just on the border. It is literally almost right on the border between Judah and Israel, just north of Jerusalem. And Baasha comes down and he starts to fortify Ramah. He builds walls and gates, and his purpose was to stop the flood of immigrants that are defecting from northern Israel, and they're moving into Judah. He's losing his tax base, right? These people are leaving California, I mean northern California, I mean northern <laughs> Israel. And they're moving to other states, I mean southern Judah, right? They're leaving Dodge because they, they have seen that God is with Judah, I mean, they've just experienced this massive victory, etc. a number of years before, they've seen the blessing and they go, we don't want to worship these golden calves. We want to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he is in the temple in Jerusalem. So they were defecting, and Baasha wanted to stop that immigration. Right, that migration. So, Asa's got a goal and he says, I need to stop Baasha from fortifying Ramah. I don't like the idea of an armed fortress right on Judah's border. Well, he made two very bad choices, and we do the same thing. Number one, he pursued his own goal, not God's goal. And number two, he relied on God's enemies to accomplish that goal. Now, just saying he could have prayed. Just the thought, right? Your enemy's on your doorstep, they're fortifying, they're building a fortress on your border, and you could pray about it and say, God, we belong to you. We're your people, right? What should we do about this? If anything, what's your will? What's your plan? We submit to you. But he didn't want God's solution. He wanted his solution. So his first mistake was he's pursuing his goals, not God's goals, because he never asked God what his goals were. And his means were, he stole God's treasures from the temple. Stole them. And he bribed a pagan enemy neighbor, the kingdom of Aram, a perennial enemy of Israel. He he bribed them to attack northern Israel so that they would withdraw from Judah. And he was successful. It worked. Ben-Hadad from Aram up north came down, invaded Israel, and King Basha left Ramah and moved north to fight Aram. And Asa issued a proclamation that says no one was exempt. Every able-bodied person in the land crossed the border, took every rock, every piece of wood from that Rama fortress and brought it down to Jerusalem, and they built their own fortifications. They literally dismantled all of Basha's fortifications. Have you ever noticed that sometimes the worst thing that can happen to you is when your own plans succeed? When you're, when you're successful. We used to always joke that the worst thing that can happen to a novice gambler is that they start winning they start thinking they're smart. See, never confuse brains with luck. Or in my business, never confuse a bull market with brains, right? I mean, don't 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 confuse yourself. We're not that smart. See, when we succeed in our plans, we do what? We trust ourselves more instead of trusting God. So Asa put his trust in bribes and political alliances instead of the Lord. So it was politically successful, militarily successful, and a spiritual disaster. Because you know what the message was? He taught Judah, trust in political alliances, don't trust in the Lord. You can succeed without God, which is absolutely not true. And our culture has bought that hook, line, and sinker. And now we're starting to reap the consequences of throwing God out of the public square for 50 or 60 or 70 years. It always comes. Do not be deceived. God is not, not Whatever you sow, you will reap. Right, Verse 7. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said to him, quote, Because you have relied on the king of Aram and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. Were not the Ethiopians and Lubim an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him. And Asa also oppressed some of the people at the same time. In verse 12, In the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet. His disease was severe, yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. Here's the principle. God's supernatural power is only available to those who rely on him and not themselves. God's supernatural power is only available to those who rely on him and not themselves. So God sent his prophet Hanani to confront Asa for his refusal to trust in God, and he relied on his own plans. And the prophet reminded Asa, Asa, years before, remember that God demonstrated his faithfulness to you? He delivered you from a much larger enemy. There was a million-man army from Egypt, and you prayed, and I delivered them uh, supernaturally. Because you trusted in me alone, and here you are trusting in yourself, and you've achieved your own goals, but you've missed my goal. And you say, well, what was God's goal from all this? Did you notice the phrase, quote, Therefore, the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. God's goal was far larger than Ace's goal. Asa's goal was, I got a problem on my northern border. My northern neighbor, King Basha, has fortified this city. I need to get rid of him. I need to get him to withdraw. God's goal was to deliver Aram's armies into Judah's hands and completely eliminate Aram as a threat to Israel and Judah, just like he did with a million-man army from Egypt and Ethiopia. God wanted Judah to conquer their enemies not make an alliance with them. Now, when Asa gave Aram gold and silver, he was making Judah weaker and his enemies stronger. And he used it by stealing from God. How do you think God feels when we use his resource to pursue evil purposes? Don't think he's very happy. He says, you're mishandling my blessing. Since Asa didn't trust God to protect Judah, God said, fine. You want to protect yourself? Have at it. Protect yourself. And the consequence is what? Ongoing wars. You're now going to have ongoing wars. I wanted to supernaturally take Aram and Damascus out of the equation. When you look at the book of Kings and Chronicles, Aram invades over and over, and over, and over, and over again. And God wanted to deal with us right at the beginning, but Asa never said, God, what's your goal here? See, we do that all the time. We see the problem. There's an enemy on the border. I got a solution. God's goal for our lives is so much bigger than our goals for our lives. It's not even funny. We usually ask God, Lord, can you get rid of the immediate problem? Like, get rid of the immediate problem and my life will be good. He says, no, I want to take this immediate problem. I want you to trust me, and I want to do something far bigger than you can even imagine through that problem. When you trust me. And Asa didn't trust God. He refused to trust God. He trusted God's enemies. He hired God's enemies to attack his brothers up in northern Israel. How's that working? Well, it didn't work at all. See, they wanted to accomplish their plans. They didn't want to accomplish God's plans. God has plans for us that are going to matter for all eternity. They're going to count forever and ever and ever. Don't accept the mud pies of this life as reward when you can look to the eternal banquet coming up in heaven. Keep your eyes on eternity. And the only way you do that is what? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own yeah, we, you and I are not that smart, right? So, after is confronted with God's word, he's got a choice. I can repent or I can rebel. Now, he had been large and in charge for so long, he had forgotten that he was dependent on God for everything. He got proud and he punished God's messenger for putting him in prison. I mean, he was the king, right? Nobody corrects the king. Not even God, right? So, I shut the messenger up. And apparently some of the people began to push back at his rule at this point because it says he began to oppress them. He began to tax them. He began to harass them. He began to enslave them. His own countrymen. So he's now moving from being a servant shepherd leader to being a tyrannical leader. That's what happens when you move away from God. You stop behaving like God. When you move toward the world, you start behaving like the world, and then you rationalize it. Right? Anytime you walk away from God, you're not walking just away from God, you're walking towards evil. You, When you walk away from the Lord, you are always walking away toward evil. Always walking towards evil. Because God is merciful, God gave Asa another opportunity to what? Repent. And you know what the opportunity was? He gave him a disease, which was an opportunity to what? Trust the Lord with the disease. And apparently, it was severe, a foot disease. Now, we don't know what it was. It could possibly have been gangrene, which can be lethal. Here's the point. Every problem in our life, including pain or maybe especially pain, is a call to what? Pray. When you have a problem, pray. You can write that down. Take it to the bank. Every problem is a call to prayer. I mean, that's we know that. We just don't practice that, right? Now, what's interesting is Asa had already seen God work in marvelous ways. So why not pray? Why didn't he pray? Pride. I'm going to do it my way. He put his faith in physicians, not God. And he died two years later in the 41st year of his reign, probably as a result from complications from his foot disease. Now... He had walked with God for a number of years, but his spiritual decay was one of the unfortunate results of prolonged peace and prosperity. His faith muscle had been not exercised in years, it had become flabby. He had stopped trusting in the Lord and started trusting in human solutions to problems that God allowed him to have to strengthen his faith. He wanted the solution instantly and he trusted people instead of God. God's people must put their whole weight on God's promises, not human performance. By the way, people will make you lots of promises. It's not that you shouldn't believe them, but don't put your weight on it, because people will fail you. If you think people are going to keep their promises to you like Jesus is going to keep his promises to you, you're delusional. People will fail you. And some people walk away from the Lord because they say, well, God's people did this and that. Don't expect people to be perfect. They're not. And please don't let other people think you are, because you're not either, (laughs) right? You know me, you know my warts, right? So God may use human methods to accomplish his goals, but our faith is to be in God, not human solutions. You know, for example, most of us are at the stage where some of our best friends we find in the waiting rooms of doctor's offices, right? And God uses physicians to assist us in our health. I mean, they cut and sew, right? They burn and poison. But, who does the healing? God alone does the healing. So we're to give thanks for modest medicine. I'm doing it right now. But our trust is in the Lord. Only in the Lord. So Asa began well, but the last five years of his life, his refusal to trust in the Lord due to his pride cost him and his nation dearly. And we'll see this in the subsequent weeks. I'll just give you a little clue. He taught his son Jehoshaphat that making alliances with evil kings was smart. And Jehoshaphat did it over and over and over with disastrous consequences. So let's review. Number one, loving God involves two things, eradicating evil and establishing righteousness. You have to do both by his power. Number two, preparation is prudent because the future is unpredictable. Number three, when you pray, ask God, First and foremost, to honor himself, regardless of how he chooses to answer your prayers. You know who our model here is? Jesus. The night before he was betrayed, John 17, he said, Father, glorify yourself in the upper room. He said, glorify yourself. You know how God glorified himself? You know how Jesus glorified God? By dying. That's a good model for us. And in the garden, he said, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup for me, but Not my will, but your be done. Glorify yourself, whatever the cost is to me, because my grace is sufficient for you. Number four, God is intimate with those who seek him above all else. A loving and faithful relationship with God produces peace and joy, regardless of your circumstances. Don't rely on God's enemies to accomplish your goals. Even better, don't pursue your goals. Pursue God's goals by asking him first what he wants you to pursue, what he wants you to do. And then lastly, God's supernatural power is only available to those who rely on him and not themselves. Okay, there's an enormous amount of practical application from the kings. We're going to, Lord willing, the next several months we'll be in these, and hopefully we can continue to find very applicable uh, truth to our own life as we follow Jesus Christ. Amen? I love you all. Now that you know, do.
1: Mana meets at Valley Baptist Church at 4800 Fruitvale Avenue in Bakersfield, California, every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. in the choir room. We would love for you to join us. Here at Mana, we believe in doing life together. So if you're in need of prayer, submit your request to podcast at gmail.com and our class will be happy to pray for you. Thank you for joining us today, and now that you know, do.